Blog Talk Radio. To the balance. My name is Tom Mark with El Presidente. You will pay homage to me for the next two hours as I will guide you through this crazy world of sports. I am the captain of this ship, and this is the balance. And you have stumbled across the number one internet sports talk show in the world. And welcome to all of our affiliate radio stations as well. Coming up today, IndyCar in Road America, boys and girls. That's right. We're about midway through the season. Matthew Embry of uh, Popular Open Wheel Now standing by in the balance green room. Going to be talking with us a little bit about the road course in Wisconsin, and that's uh, Road America. And then uh, we've got Tyson Lawson-Sager from OnPitRoad.com coming on to talk with us about some NASCAR. NASCAR out in wine country, out in Sonoma, Sonoma Cali. Of course, the NBA drafts in the books. Derek Schultz of the Quarry and Schultz Show on uh, Fox Sports, iHeartRadio. He's going to be joining us, helping us break down the NBA draft. Also, talk a little bit about the Pacers. At the end of the day, at the end of the at the end of the cycle, I guess, in the fourth quarter, if you will. Mo from the BS Sports Show going to join us. We're going to continue our conversation about the NBA draft and some MLB talk as well. My name is Tom Marquezel, Presidente. Stick around; it's about to get good tonight. National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, 
makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm laughing. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. Start the party. All right, welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Mark with El Presidente. Time to jump right into this IndyCar talk. Joining us now is Matthew Embry from App Popular Open Wheel. Now, how are you, sir? Well, it's not looking so good. We had a little bit of a leak situation, but uh, the show must go on. It's on to Road America, so... Interesting stuff as always, especially with uh, always changing the title battle with uh, three major players and one that's had a good weekend so far and two that uh, have a little bit of work to do to maintain the position that they have earned uh, harder for a couple of them uh, within the last few weeks. Well, I know Road America is one of the most popular road courses that they run uh, in the in the series. Talk with us a little bit about Road America, what kind of track it is, what it's about, its history, and, and uh, uh, bring us up to speed on Road America up there in Wisconsin. Um, probably the most uh, laid-out circuit uh, in the U.S., uh, four miles long, 14 quarters, not long straightaways. Uh, at the time, it was considered possibly a future venue for the United States Grand Prix F1 event, but ultimately a very tough circuit, and all the IndyCar runs there, but also the NASCAR Xfinity Series uh, competes there during the time. A lot of good places to overtake, uh, plenty of room to work, not necessarily, you know, as well as, uh, like, a Berkeley Airport in Cleveland was, but uh, certainly a track where the drivers can race hard, and uh, it should be a very interesting event uh, coming up uh, tomorrow afternoon. 
Well, absolutely, and it's good to see IndyCar back on the track after having uh, a small break, if you will, as we go into uh, kind of this mid midway uh, season, if you will. Well, let's talk about all the usual suspects and, and how we're getting ready to uh, – what they're getting ready to do and what we can expect from them at Road America. We'll start with over at Penske Stable, and that is Joseph Newgarden. What are your thoughts? Well, back to his old tricks supposedly. Uh, Bath in both sessions yesterday. I ran a 142.6 on the four-mile circuit as his personal best uh, yesterday. And his two teammates are close. Uh, Will Power was fourth in that session, so in passion of fifth. And then, of course, the two championship rivals, uh, Dixon and Rossi. Dixon was P7, and Alexander Rossi was P12. So a little bit of ground, like I said, to make up for a couple of the guitars, but... Uh, for Justin Newgarden and Will Power, uh, the Indy 500 champion, uh, both of them certainly making uh, a little bit of progress in getting themselves potentially back into position. Uh, very interesting to see how this plays out. Obviously, we've seen the Hondas be a little more competitive recently, uh, Texas being one of those, the Chevrolet dominated Indianapolis and the Indy Road Course. So, not sure which direction this is going right now. If you go trending initially, I thought it was going to be going towards Scott Dixon, maybe. But uh, the last uh, this this last day of running, uh, assuming nothing changes, of course, the weather's always a factor with a bit like this. A long circuit could always throw a wrench. There's a wet session, but uh, for now, anyway, Team Pesky looking very solid. But uh, a few other players uh, they're trying to get themselves back into the fight. Talking with Matthew Embry. Matthew, I, I, we're having a little bit of audio issues with you. Nothing major, but uh, just for those that are listening, uh, we are having a little bit of audio issues uh, with Matthew. We're just going to kind of go through this. But, you know, you mentioned uh, Scott Dixon. Rumor has it, and of course, rumor's a nasty beast, but Scott Dixon to McLaren in 2019. Have you heard anything about that? I highly doubt that. Why would you want to go to McLaren when they're in such dismay, and especially during that Fernando Alonso is trying to look past going to IndyCar? Uh, it just does not make any sense to me. At the advanced days that he is at, he is past, well past the prime. Any Formula One driver would ever be at. 37 is way too old for Formula One driver in most books. Uh, if he would have gone to F1, it would have been long, long ago, not now. Well, we're going to kind of go through these stables, if you will, in no particular order. Uh, but Tomoko Soto, uh, one of these days, I will learn how to pronounce his name. Uh, over at uh, Ray Hall Letterman Racing, uh, Legaman Racing, uh, what are your thoughts? So far, so good for Soto. So far, so good for him. Ray Hall, both were in the top ten uh, in the major session yesterday. Uh, Road racing is where Ray Hall and Lanigan's going to do their damage. That's the way they've done it the last several years. And uh, if Graham Ray wants to make a major run or Sato, uh, they need to start piling up the points uh, starting this weekend. Uh, may not necessarily do it in the following race in Iowa, but with the majority of the races being on road and street circuits, so they need to start making a move uh, if they want to be, you know, within, you know, possibly a stone's throw when we get to double points race at Sonoma, but they don't make anything done this weekend uh, It's getting close to where you can use that black pen and uh, cancel them off the list as far as uh, championship contenders. Zachary Clayman DeMello, uh, what are your thoughts in his Honda there, his pay-safe Honda? Well, tonight's running out for Clayman DeMello. Just a few more races left, and then uh, once 
Pietro Filippoli has cleared the race again uh, after his injury suffered in Belgium. Uh, he will run the rest of the schedule. Uh, did not make as much of an impact as Sebastian Bourdais this weekend. He picked uh, the stoke is going to have to play to do anything. Uh, Bourdais being right up there in T3 yesterday, I think he's going to be the much uh, bigger factor. And especially for Bourdais, is another guy that needs to make uh, some moves. Uh, able to finish at the Indianapolis 500 double points race, that hurt him. Uh, not so good at Dale Thorne racing for the Detroit Browns and also uh, a lackluster run at Texas. So another guy that really needs to uh, keep his head above water if he wants to stay uh, in this uh, title fight. Uh, Sebastian Bourdais, I uh, really liked what we saw out at Indy. He certainly uh, has made a, a great bounce back, obviously, from uh, his huge injury last year uh, with his broken pelvis. Uh, but Sebastian Bourdais, what are your thoughts? The thing is, the qualifying's only half the battle. He's still in up in the fence, still without the bad result in Indy. Uh, and like I said, I mean, the results just are not there right now. Uh, him to be considered. I mean, it's a great comeback all about, but at the same time, we need to provide some results, and right now at this point, the freshman has not done that, and uh, he really needs to get, if not a win, a podium finish uh, this weekend to get himself back in, you know, a position where he has a realistic shot to win the title. When we're talking about winning the title, a lot goes into play. One would think that Will Power, by, by winning the uh, Indianapolis 500, would have catapulted him to the top, top of the standings, but that's not necessarily the case. Uh, talk with us about the top five, where we're at as far as the championship run. Well, the thing that hurt uh, Power, obviously, was that DNF in Texas. Page uh, 18 uh, knocked him from the top spot all the way down to P3. Uh, right now, Scott Dixon has 357. Rossi's at 334. Then you've got Power at 321. Ryan Hunter-Ray at 308. Uh, like we said, Newgarden needs a big event. He's at 289 right now. He's had three or four very uh, iffy results. And Graham Raywell at 250. He's six in points, but he's almost out. He's over 100 points behind uh, Scott Dixon. So, there are several guys on the list right now. Uh, Robert Wilkins, who had a good run, was second in practice yesterday. Bourdais is currently ninth at 218. Pagano is eighth at 229. There are a lot of guys on this list that really need to start piling up the results. Uh, not necessarily, you know, mid-pack results, but up front results. Because what have we seen in the last few years? Guys that have been able to consistently get in the top five race after race have been the guys that have actually won the championship. It's not necessarily the guys that win most races. It's been the guys that have been most consistent because uh, Will Power has won a lot of races, but he's also had a lot of DNFs. So you've you got to avoid the DNFs. You've got to be able to pile up and keep earning big points uh, every weekend if possible. And that's how Joseph Newgarden won the title last year. And Sam Casual Will Power the last few years, uh, it's been been able to, you know, avoid the DNFs and get the results, not necessarily winning race, and then, you know, mixing it up with DNFs. So you have to be able to be consistent, and that's what this point system uh, lays out right now. It's not necessarily the most wins like it is in NASCAR. It is the most consistent driver that wins in IndyCar. Well, absolutely, and that's exactly yeah. the point I was trying to make. Now, you know, we're uh, talking to, going back to Road America. Uh, one driver 
is also an owner, and I'm not talking about Ed Carpenter. I'm talking about Brian Herta. What do you think about him? Do you think he's got enough steam to uh, really make an impact, or is he just uh, trying to hang on so he can get a sponsor? What's his story there? Well, I think, obviously, he had a decent start to the year with Marco Andretti. He's kind of fizzed out just a little bit the last few weeks. Uh, I think you look at the situations right there, you wonder right now, if he is keeping the seat warm for a potential move up by Colton Herta, who is, of course, with Andretti Steinbrenner and Indy Lights, uh, that's I think would be his ultimate goal is to get you know a second generation driver into a seat somewhere down the line. If not, you know, win the championship and earn the scholarship advancement money for next season. But uh, ultimately, right now, uh, Marco. You know, Honestly, I thought he was on the verge of something uh, the last few weeks. But, uh, yeah, he's fizzed out again, uh, Texas. Uh, could still bounce back. Was 10th in practice yesterday. But uh, I think at this point, uh, yeah, it's a big improvement from the last few years. But still, it's not quite enough, I think, to satisfy the appetite for fans that want to see an Andretti uh, near the front and being a challenger for the championship. Unfortunately, uh, Marco, I don't think he's going to quite get there. But, yes, he has had a major improvement uh, this season. But as far as Herta goes, I think his focus right now is on his son, uh, Colton Herta. In fact, they're qualifying, I believe, in Indy Lights. Let me see if I can bring this up here. Let's see where they are at here. One second. And speaking of Colton Herta, yeah, he has a six-point lead in the championship, but there are several other uh, contenders for it right now. You've got uh, Pato Award, the talented Mexican, uh, Santi Arudia, who has been looking for a ride in IndyCar the last several years, has been unsuccessful. And then you have uh, a few other young prospects uh, in Franzoni, Norman, Kellett. Uh, so it's going to be an interesting fight right now, but uh, the focus certainly has to be on Colton Herd and whether or not at uh, just uh, 18 or 19 he can win the scholarship money and the advancement money at the IndyCar. And the question is, who would he drive for if all four seats uh, stay unchanged and Andretti for next season? Because I don't know if they would be willing to extend to a fifth car, uh, even though, yes, things are getting better in terms of the financial situation. But considering the car count and the number of teams, they may not necessarily have the need to jump up to five cars uh, for a full time. And as we have seen in the past, uh, maybe too many teams out stretching yourself too far has been a detriment. And, and we have seen that many times. Uh, uh, moving on through the list here for uh, Road America tomorrow up at Road America in Wisconsin, Alexander Rossi. Alexander Rossi is that ends ready guy who's been right there at it. Obviously, a former Indy 500 winner. Uh, certainly in, in the ends ready camp, he's he's the guy to look to. Alexander Rossi certainly has to have a good run qualifying and possibly make the fire so fast six. Uh, P12 obviously will not cut it at this point if he matches what he did in practice. Uh, will could find the speed like he has the last few weekends uh, when he has been a little bit lax at the start. But, uh, again, it's the same guy that qualified 32nd at the Indianapolis 500. So uh, can't necessarily afford to because it's going to be a lot tougher to gain ground here as opposed to, say, Indy where he made the great charge in the last row of the top five finish. But uh, I think right now, uh, if you're talking about a guy that needs a good qualifier or needs to make up ground after, you know, some iffy runs in practice yesterday, uh, Alexander Rossi would be the guy I would mention. What do we think about Ed Jones this weekend? 
has taken a step backward uh, as far as the qual practice times. So Dixon was at P7. I think Jones was much further down the list uh, for the Dubai resident. I think, yeah, P18. So, yeah, showed some progress uh, in the Detroit rounds, decent run at Texas, decent run a couple other places this season. But, uh, once again, uh, maybe that uh, week off uh, may have knocked him off his game just a little bit. We've uh, talked a little bit about Scott Dixon today, but what are your thoughts about him tomorrow at Road America? Another top five I think would keep him right now. He's got a solid lead on Rossi and several of the other contenders right now. So if he keeps pouring on the top five at this point and avoids the bad result, uh, the way he's going, uh, we could be starting to talk about uh, the drive to five uh, here in the next few weeks if he continues uh, piling in the top five results. We're talking with Matthew Embry of At Popular Open Wheel Now, our official IndyCar contributor. This is The Balance. My name is Tom Marquez, El Presidente. 917-889-8516 is our digits if you want to jump in the conversation. Uh, Matthew, Tony Kanan, GK over at Floyd, racing in his ABC Auto Supply car. What are your thoughts? Decent run, you know, 11th place, considering, you know, Floyd has not had too much success in the ovals. Yes, they did win run race at Long Beach and Tacoma Sato several years ago. But uh, Kanan, if he can get a top 10, I think that would be a personal win, considering he has had a lot of trouble, especially with Canassi last year on the road and street courses. Uh, Mateus Lace, I think, is a surprise. I thought he would be much further up. I think this is the type of circuit where he could do some damage, and yet uh, the Brazilian is uh, P19 after two sessions. So, uh, a little bit of a mixed bag. Yeah, decent stuff from Kanan, but I thought the lace would be much higher up the list. So, uh, uh, Junko's Racing didn't have a good day on Friday uh, with Alfonso Celis uh, certainly uh, finding his way uh, into the wall there at, at Road America. Thankfully, it wasn't as bad as, you know, the Catherine Lake crash uh, several years ago at that same area where not only Catherine Lake smashed the wall, the car got airborne, and then completely ripped apart. Somehow she walked away with no injuries. Uh, thankfully, in this case, only the rear wing came off. The car got airborne for a little bit. Thankfully, it didn't start doing the rolls like Catherine Lake's car did. But uh, like we said, uh, that is a scary part, uh, that kink into Kettle Bottoms, and uh, if you get it wrong there, uh, the walls and the safety area there, I don't know if there's a safer barrier in that area. If there isn't, there should be, because uh, that part of the wall, if the speed's there going, that can cause a lot of damage, not only to the car, but certainly to the driver. We haven't talked really too much about rookie Robert Wickens. Uh, he made his uh, Indy uh, car debut as a substitute in the Friday uh, sessions at Road America a year ago, I should say. Uh, he made his debut, and certainly we've seen him do a, a, have a great season uh, this year. He was uh, fourth fastest uh, on Friday, I believe. Go ahead. Uh, second fastest, actually, for Wickens. Uh the question is right now is when is that first one going to come? Uh, it looked like Texas was a shot until he decided to get a little bit aggressive trying to clear traffic and it paid the price, not only for himself, but Ed Carpenter. A uh, couple other mistakes along the way at Detroit cost him a chance to win. But I think right now it's going to come eventually. And uh, like I said, uh, give Wickens credit, though. He's gone from uh, absolute out nowhere to not only – you know, be a contention to win races, but become the main driver at Smith Peterson, especially considering the struggles uh, James Hinchcliffe has had, of course, failing to qualify Indy. 
uh, only 15th in practice uh, yesterday. So uh, Wickens has come in, taken over very nicely. Now the only question is uh, when will he take that, uh, I guess they call it horse race and the maiden tag off and uh, become a first-time winner. Let's talk about some of these other rookies. Uh, certainly you have uh, two others that are in the top ten uh, for qualifying and practice, or I should say, uh, on, at Road America, and that's uh, Zach Veach and Matthew uh, Leist. As I mentioned, Leist, uh, not as high up the list as I thought he would be. Veach uh, still is trying to figure out this car. Uh, 14th again, considering uh, yet... Not too far off of his Andretti Osborne teammates, but I think based on what I see from Andretti Osborne, I think Beach and the potential he's shown, he should be much higher at the list. And while I think uh, he's not in jeopardy of losing this seat with the money that Group 1001 provides for him, uh, I think he certainly uh, will be under the gun for providing results when we get to 2019 if he does stay with Andretti Osborne for next season. You know, we uh, talked a little bit about James Hinscliffe last week. Obviously, uh, wasn't able to uh, make the field of 33 at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, he likes road courses. He does well on road courses. Uh, Mayor of Hinchtown, James Hinscliffe, what are your thoughts? Not so good at Indy, not so good at Detroit. Had a big bounce back there at Texas, which really was uh, commendable considering uh, his failure to qualify, you know, for, road, uh, for Indy, obviously. But uh, Road America looks like it's going to be a struggle again. Only 13th uh, in practice as opposed to 15th. I apologize for that. But uh, ultimately, uh, Hinch uh, again has his work cut out for him uh, to take a team. And keep in mind, this is a team that kind of got thrown a curveball when Lena Gade uh, left as the, you know, head engineer before Indy. And, you know, maybe that had something to do with the team's uh, bounce back, trying to find its way again or whatever the case was. Uh, Wickens has had no problems suffering from the blow, but uh, certainly it seems to have affected uh, his performance uh, the last few events. Let's talk a little bit about Ed Carpenter's boy, uh, Spencer Piggott. They want Iowa bad. Uh, that's all I can say right now. Uh, King has only been, Jordan King's only been P16, Spencer Piggott's been P17. For some reason, the Chevrolet outside of Team Penske just has not cut it. I guess maybe the power of the teams on road courses that Chevrolet currently has beyond Penske just aren't isn't good enough right now to cut it at this point. But, uh, yeah, after they ran so well at Indy, the Chevrolets did. Uh, once again, they're starting to fizz out again, especially the case with uh, Texas. Uh, looking back to Ed Carpenter, I thought he was going to be a big contender at Texas, uh, considering what he did in Indianapolis, and he never fired there. And, uh, so far this weekend, I mean, they're almost they're a full second behind uh, Joseph Newgarden on the timesheets yesterday. And if you're that far behind, even on a four-mile course, uh, there's no uh, getting back from that unless some miracle happens to them right now. So it's been a week to forget, at least so far, once again, uh, for ECR. Well, we're, it's about time to wrap it up, put a bow on it. Matthew Embry of Popular Open Wheel now. Give us some final words of wisdom as we go into Road America tomorrow. And then it, you talk about the rest of the list right there. Uh, Carlin is not a factor. Unicos, who mentioned Celis' bad accident, could have been worse than it was, thankfully. And then uh, Harding again, Davi Chavez, not so far, not so good again. Uh, maybe the Chevrolet engine holding him back. But ultimately, right now, the question is, can Joseph Newgarden claim the victory? Uh, he needs a victory bad. Power needs a victory bad. 
and certainly Pagano. And then the question is, uh, is Scott Dixon going to give way and possibly allow some of these other guys to get back into it? And then obviously the other question is, can this be the race uh, for Robert Wickens? Uh, I'd say those are the main storylines that are coming into qualifying tomorrow, today and then the race tomorrow. One of those guys I just mentioned I think is going to be a race winner. And if I had to guess at this point, uh, if Joseph Newgarden wants it bad enough to keep that number one plate, uh, he'll find a way into the winner's circle uh, tomorrow afternoon. So, uh, real quickly, uh, weather. Uh, is weather going to be a factor tomorrow? I don't think so, looking at what I've noticed, but what are your thoughts? You can always throw a wrench into it. Obviously, you got to find a balance, but a attack in the straightaways, but also make it through the corners that are very extremely slick. Uh, could be very interesting there for sure. If rain were to intervene, uh, I don't have access to my weather information right now or radars at this point. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be add to that, uh, but also a little bit cooling conditions being, you know, up there. Uh, there is a little bit of a blip area that are in the Dakotas, Montana's right now, but I don't know if that's going to get there or not uh, by the time we get to Sunday. But, uh, like I said, again, if rain comes out, especially since we've had dry sessions so far this weekend, uh, that certainly uh, could throw a curveball and be interesting to see which drivers uh, cope with it the best uh, if it does rain a little bit where they need to throw uh, the wet tires uh, onto the cars. All right, Matthew, where can people find you working your masterpieces, sir? Uh, Open Wheel Now is one place to check for all of our information uh, on all the series, including Formula One. Also, Matt Embry uh, is another site to keep an eye on. And, uh, again, uh, Good stuff coming up this weekend with uh, all the action there. And uh, you talked about drafts. Uh, of course, the NHL draft uh, continues uh, this afternoon. And uh, a lot of interesting stuff going on there as well as they uh, make uh, players for the future stars of hockey uh, in Dallas. So that gets underway here rounds two and seven through seven today. So uh, a lot of stuff to keep an eye on. And then obviously a uh, little road course racing in NASCAR. And that's always a good thing. I always I mean, NASCAR isn't exciting as it used to be, but uh, it's still uh, road course events. I always get those. Those are always, the, you know, the different events that uh, throw a little bit of a curveball for the guys. That should be interesting to see uh, what happens there this weekend when they head to the wine country. All right, Matthew, you have yourself a good weekend. We will catch up with you next week as we get a recap on Road America tomorrow. Anytime, friend. Thank you. Matthew Embry at Popular Open Wheel Now, our official IndyCar contributor, talking about uh, IndyCar. Time to uh, merge on into the NASCAR segment. They're out in wine country. We'll be right back. Tyson Lodgesiger standing by in the balance green room. We're going to break down uh, NASCAR on the road course as well in Sonoma. <laughs> Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, 
money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family. So the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Let's start the party. All right, welcome back to the balance. My name is Tom Mark with El Presidente. Half hour in the books. Thank you to Matthew Embry of uh, Popular Open Wheel Now, our official IndyCar contributor, talking about Road America. Joining us now, our favorite Canadian, Tyson Lautenschlager from OnPitRoad.com. Joining us, we're going to jump right into the NASCAR talk. Uh, but first, uh, Tyson, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? Fantastic. Do you have any thoughts on Road America? Certainly, that's a, a, a popular uh, road course. I know you cover a lot of IndyCar as well for us as well. Any thoughts on Road America that sticked out to you? Obviously, Joseph Newgarden fastest in practice on Friday. Uh, we went, kind of went through the stables of the first half hour, but certainly uh, chime in on Road America. Yeah, Road America is, in my opinion, one of the best road courses in the United States, and I, I wish we got to see a little bit more racing on it. I'd 
personally like to see uh, NASCAR bring the Cup Series to Road America because it is such a good road course with uh, really uh, with great racing, big track, and it is a fast road course as well. Great racetrack. I think uh, Joseph Newgarden this weekend again is probably the guy to beat uh, as as it's been a lot of the last oh, year and a half now. But then you got Robert Wickens there, who was really quick in practice too, and he he seems to be right on the cuff of winning. So uh, this IndyCar race this weekend uh, could be a, a battle again uh, with Chevy and Honda. Those two uh, engine manufacturers are very tight in the series right now, pretty neck and neck between both of them. Well, well, absolutely. And so uh, when we look at Road America, what do you think it is that NASCAR, I mean, we got Watkins Glen, we got Sonoma, we got other uh, NASCAR road uh, tracks. What do you think it is that um, NASCAR just has not made that leap up there to Wisconsin? Well, right now we have the, the NASCAR Xfinity Series that races in Road America, and they've been doing that since, I believe, 2000, either 2010 or 2011. And it's worked out really well, the Xfinity Series running there. Um, the fans really enjoy it. I think the fans are starting to enjoy road course racing more. We, we used to see, um, much like the drivers way back in the day, the fans really didn't enjoy road courses. But now I think a lot of fans are noticing that there is a lot of exciting racing on these road courses. Um, as for why uh, Cup hasn't made its way to Road America yet, I think that's simply because uh, of the... Uh, NASCAR set a few years ago um, five-year term limits, basically, if you want to put it in lamest terms, where tracks are guaranteed their dates for up to five years. And that happened, uh, I believe, in 2016. The the contract runs out in 2021, which would allow for NASCAR to uh, take some dates away from tracks if need be, if attendance isn't good enough, if the racing isn't good enough, and maybe add new tracks. And and I think that's when we could see a Road America type track be added is in 2021. Um, we're seeing obviously NASCAR is running the, Char- the Charlotte Roval uh, this year. And, and I think that's kind of, I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I, I see that as sort of a placeholder for an actual permanent road course like Road America, like Canadian Tire Motorsport Park or, or Mid-Ohio, where we're seeing racing in the Xfinity and Truck Series do really well at all three of those tracks. So maybe in the future we could see Cup run at Road America. I'd like to see that happen um, because, as I said, it's a really fast track, and it's uh, it's not made for, for Cup cars, of course, but they would excel on this type of track. And, and NASCAR did run the Cup Series at Road America way back in the 1950s. So let's bring it back. I think it'd be uh, some pretty good racing. Absolutely. Well, let's get on over to the other coast, to uh, Sonoma and wine country. Uh, talk with us a little bit about this road course. The challenges that this course uh, provides is, is very extensive. As In a lot of ways, Sonoma is two different tracks in one track because the elevations change so drastically. Uh, literally, weather changes drastically on different parts of the track. So a lot of times they are racing on two separate tracks, not literally, but two separate tracks figuratively speaking there at Sonoma yeah the the thing about Sonoma um, and we were talking about uh, Road America and how fast it is Sonoma is kind of the exact opposite it's a very slow moving road course and you do have those elevation changes where sometimes uh, you're going uphill and then about 20 seconds later you're going downhill and 
on one of the fastest parts of the track, I believe turn uh, turn five or six, where it's going downhill really, really fast. And, you know, a lot of times that can really get the drivers uh, really out of shape. And, and even uh, on the downhill portion of the track, you can't see as you're heading up the hill what's going on downhill. So you could have an accident, and unless your spotter is really on the game and telling you, uh, where that accident's at, because they usually do bring uh, two or three spotters to the road courses, you you won't see what's going on. So it is a very challenging track uh, between the speeds, sometimes getting uh, up speed, and, and then uh, getting into turns 11 and 12 right at the end of the track. You're going as slow as about 50 to 60 miles an hour trying to just hit your braking points while also potentially trying to win the race at that point. So there are a lot of challenges to this track. Let's uh, kind of go through the series here. Uh, the Truck Series is not at Sonoma. They're over out at yeah, Gateway Motorsports uh, Park uh, today. Uh, break down uh, the can- NASCAR Camping World Truck Series for us. Yeah, the Truck Series, as you said, they're in Gateway. Uh, just coming off their race at Iowa last weekend, which was a really exciting race. We saw uh, Noah Gregson pull a, what everybody's been calling, a video game type move on Brent Moffitt in the final turn just trying to inch his way toward victory. It didn't quite happen for him. He, he hit the wall on the final lap, and uh, Moffitt, who dominated the last part of the race from Iowa, was able to, to get a hometown win, uh, which was a cool story, especially considering that team. Their uh, their budget constraints, despite winning two races this season, they, might, they may not be racing uh, the next time out at Chicagoland. Uh, that team is uh, in trouble right now, and funding-wise, um, so we may not see them after this weekend at Gateway. But if you look at the practice charts, Brett Moffat was fastest in uh, final in final practice last night. So this team, they really need sponsorship. This is a championship contending team. They're guaranteed a playoff spot. And we might not see them uh, come uh, the next couple weeks. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how, if they can have a good run this weekend, if that plays into finding sponsorship. Because this team, they, they're a winning team. Uh, even last week, Brett Moffat made a plea in victory lane to sponsors to step up and help them because they are very unsure of their future. And still right now, that future is still unclear. We're talking with Tyson Lautenstager on pitroad.com, uh, talking some NASCAR. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Xfinity Series. As you mentioned, last week in Iowa, they were in action as well as the Truck Series. Uh, the Monster Energy Series was not in action, so it was a good opportunity uh, to see that what I would call true developmental drivers that really the Xfinity Series was meant for. Uh, none of the big boys were really driving in uh, the Xfinity uh, race. So uh, break down the Xfinity race from Iowa, and then as we get ready for uh, Sonoma, coming up this weekend absolutely so that xfinity race again uh having having the cup series off and allowing the xfinity and truck series both to just sort of shine i think allowed uh, for these competitors to get a little bit more eyes on them and and just uh have a good run and and hopefully impress some people and justin allgaier was definitely one of those guys that did impress people uh won the race dominated the last two stages really and and this is a driver who he was running cup a few years ago and, and his ride went away, but he found himself at Dale Jr.'s team and he wants to obviously make his way back up to cup at some point. So anytime you can win, whether it's against cup drivers or just uh, with no cup drivers in the field, anytime you can win and dominate and beat the best of the best, it's a good day and, and can hopefully 
elevate his uh, stack in the, the cup garage among owners, he beat out Christopher Bell uh, for Joe Gibbs Racing, and he had to battle him hard for the last about 60, 70 laps. Those two were going at it pretty hard. Algar was able to hold him off and get that win, a really important win. And we saw a couple of other interesting stories within that top 10. Riley Herbs, he was making his debut for Joe Gibbs Racing. He'll be running the truck race tonight as well in his uh, series debut over there. He ended up with a top 10 finish. And Kaz Grala, again, that small Fury race car team after uh, JGL racing his uh, his job there kind of dissolved. He found his uh, his his footing with that Fury race car as a brand new team. They had funding for four races. Iowa was the last of those four, and he got another top 10 after coming within about 15 minutes of winning at Michigan uh, the week prior and uh, getting a top 10 in their first start at Charlotte. If this team can find more funding, they seem to have really good equipment behind them, and it'd be interesting to see what they could do uh, possibly running the rest of the year. Don't know if that'll happen, but if they can find that sponsorship, I could see them uh, doing very well for the remainder of the year. And Casgarala is just short of a playoff position right now. And that equipment seems to be better than he uh, had at JGL Racing. So he could potentially make it in the playoffs if they can get to all the races left on the schedule. Well, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about uh, where, where we're at as far as the Xfinity standings. Elliot Sadler, Cole Custer, Daniel Hemrick, uh, Tyler Reddick, a rookie, Christopher Bell, also a rookie, Justin Algeier, uh Brandon Jones, uh, Ryan Truex, and Matt Taft, and Ryan Reed round out the top ten. What are your thoughts on the top ten Xfinity series, sir? Well, those top ten, we, we see the, the top 12 will all make the playoffs uh, when we get to that point. So you can add Austin Sindrick and Ross Chassain into that picture. But when you look at uh, Ryan Reed and, and even Austin Sindrick particularly, those top 11, they're probably pretty safe. That fight for the final playoff spot is going to be where Ross Chastain is. And he's had a pretty spectacular season the way he's been running. Um, he's, he's run the full season, of course, for J.D. Motorsports also running a bunch of cup stuff on the side and he's driving for a very small team. They also don't have a lot of funding. Uh, he usually is able to contend for about two or three top tens a year. And that's really impressive in itself. But this season uh, I've seen this team kind of go above and beyond and they've, uh, they've been scoring top tens running within the top 15 pretty much every weekend. And that's why he's put himself in a playoff position right now. And he has a pretty good bumper to, uh, Michael Annette, who's running 15th, he would be the next guy because 13th right now, Spencer Gallagher, he's out with his suspension from NASCAR for uh, for substance abuse policy. John Hunter Nemechek in 14th, he's not running the full season. He wouldn't be able to get a waiver uh, from my understanding. So Michael Annette in 15th, he is about uh, a little more than 30 points or a little less than 30 points rather behind uh, Ross Chastain for that final playoff spot. But when you look at Mike Lynette, he's running in junior motorsports equipment, and he can't even catch up with a team that has about three times less funding than Annette's team does. So I think that shows how impressive Ross Chastain is as a driver, how impressive that team is, and I think he can hold on to that playoff spot. Uh, I don't see Mike Lynette just mustering up uh, the, the speed and the pace to get up there. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. I'm so sorry you cut out right there at the at the very end there. I thought I lost you there for a second. Uh, I want to talk with you a little bit about NASCAR. They put uh, uh, the, on their on their All Star Race Aerial package on hold until 2019. What do we know about that? Yeah. So just like you said, the the Aerial package, which we um, we saw run at the All Star Race, we've seen uh, the Xfinity Series try it out a few times. Pocono it didn't really work. Uh, Michigan um, it produced pretty exciting racing along with the threat of rain. Uh, that was a really exciting weekend um, for both races. But, yeah, NASCAR has put this uh, this aero package on hold, which I I think is um, a good idea because I think there needs to be some evaluating to be done. I think that package produced really good racing, but at the same time, I don't know if it's the racing we want moving forward. It kind of produces manipulated racing, um, and I think what NASCAR needs to be doing rather than uh, setting a new aero package that is, you know, has this restrictor plate and, and, you know, restricts drivers and teams. I think we need to um, focus on improving the racing as it is now, which is real racing. Um, this, this aero package is exciting, but I, I'm just not sure how legitimate it is. Um, so I'm kind of glad NASCAR is holding off on this for now. So hopefully they can improve uh, the actual product of racing, and if they can't really do that um, with the cars that we have now, then work on that restrictor play package a little bit more, uh, perfect it, and uh, maybe make it more legitimate to the fans that really aren't sure about it. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the other news of what's going on. Uh, Casey Kane gets a new crew chief. Uh, how How's that going to affect him going into Sonoma this weekend? I think what's going to affect him is morale-based um, because we are seeing uh, Travis Mack was doing, in my opinion, a very good job. This team has probably set way too high of expectations for itself. This is a, a team that's always been a small team. They've run with drivers like Michael McDowell, Scott Speed, um, you know, low-budget drivers for the past several years. And now they have uh, a guy in Casey Kane who is uh, – a race-winning driver, a multi-time race-winning driver, won a race last year, and they've set themselves out thinking that they can go out and do that again or at least contend for top tens, and that hasn't happened. And I think they put a lot of that blame on Travis Mack, a rookie crew chief, who I don't think uh, deserved the brunt or even really any of that blame. Um, I think Casey had a really good relationship with Travis Mack, and now he's off the team and he's got a new interim crew chief uh, for the next little bit. And I think that is going to hurt the morale of that team and, and probably Casey Kane himself as well. Um, I, I don't Sonoma. The, the good thing for Casey is he's a good road course racer. He's won at Sonoma before and Sonoma is kind of an equalizer because you don't have to worry about speed all that much, uh, which is good because the Camaros really haven't been showing it. Um, so if, if Casey has anything going for him, it's the track that he's racing at this weekend. But losing that crew chief and Travis Mack, I think that's going to affect that team uh, a lot more than they think it will. Clint Boyer, this is uh, Sonoma is one of his favorite tracks. Uh, and certainly he uh, led uh, the, the practice uh, as well in his Ford machine there. Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on Clint Boyer and his chances tomorrow in uh, Sonoma? Clint Boyer, he's going to run well tomorrow. I think Stuart Haas Racing normally runs really well here. Uh, Kevin Harvick won this race last year. 
uh, in Tony Stewart's retirement year, he uh, he won that race, and it was the only, really the only time throughout the season that he actually was able to contend for uh, a solid result, and and he won that race. So, uh, and Boyer, he did win with Michael Waltrip Racing here um, back in I think 2012, uh, which was the year that he finished second in the championship standing. So. This is a great track for Clint. He's coming off of that uh, the, the range shortened win at Michigan. He's won at Martinsville already. This has been a really great year, and I think it's only going to continue getting better. Uh, everybody's been talking about Kevin Harvick, Truex, and Kyle Busch as those you know three that are going to make the championship four, and I think you can put Clint Boyer in there. He's been quietly running uh, really well all season. I think he's already sitting fourth or fifth in points to begin with. Uh, I think he's going to, to continue to run really well throughout the rest of this year, and I think we will see him fighting for a championship. I don't know if he'll necessarily win it. I think that's kind of a long shot of, of the four drivers that everybody seems to place in their mind uh, that's going to, to make that final four. I don't think we see Clint Boyer win the championship, but I think he'll make it there and, and compete for a championship. Uh, Sonoma is a really good race for him. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him go back to back and and win Michigan um, two weeks ago and then Sonoma to the, uh, tomorrow. You know, a lot of what I call dark horses. We'll talk about a few drivers. What I think, you know, uh, will kind of quietly come into uh, Sonoma and might be able to punch their ticket. You know, I think a lot of people uh, are looking at AJ Allmendinger. He's got a good car behind him. Myself, I'm looking at, at Denny Hamlin. He's not been he's not made a lot of noise this season, but he's due and he does well on the road course. Also, Ryan Blaney is another uh, guy that you might want to look at uh, as far as as that goes. And you mentioned Kurt Busch as well. I don't know that. He's really a dark, a dark horse, but certainly A.J. Almanager, uh, Ryan Blady, and, DJ, and Denny Hamlin, I'm sorry, are ones to look at that could be dark horses that could uh, really come in and shake things up out there in California. I agree. Uh, A.J. Almendinger, of course, is always on everyone's radar. Whenever we go to a road course for Daytona, uh, where he also runs well, but the road courses in particular, because this is his background. This is when he, he grew up racing uh, in kart and IndyCar and and long before that. Uh, the problem with Almendinger is uh, Sonoma especially, he doesn't take care of his equipment very well. He uh, He's very hard on the brakes early in the race, and he ends up having brake problems later in the race. And he, uh, for the last several, several years, he either hasn't finished the race um, because of mechanical issues and, and brake issues, or he's been way in the back just because he, he wore up his stuff. So if Almendinger is going to win at Sonoma, he needs to learn how to can serve his equipment for the rest of the race like everybody else is um, because he's being really hard on his stuff. Uh, aside from that, I think he does have a good chance if he can, if he can stay out there and, and actually run well. I think his teammate, Chris Busher, same situation, uh, JTG Doherty, they put a lot of emphasis on these road courses because they know that's where Almendinger runs well. And Chris Busher, coincidentally, he's also a pretty decent road racer. He won at uh, Mid-Ohio in the Xfinity Series a few years ago. Um, so I think we can see Busher run well. I, I don't know if a uh, win is in his future, but uh, a good run definitely could be there. And another guy that a lot of people uh, don't talk about that is a, a good road course racer is Jamie McMurray. He's got two poles in the past at Sonoma. He runs well here. Um, I think this is – or actually, he's got three poles, pardon me. Um, so Jamie McMurray, he's a good road course racer. Uh, he's got a couple top fives at Sonoma, and he's had a really bit uh, a bit of an off year. 
uh, Sonoma could be a place where he could uh, put a checkered flag in there and, and get in the, the playoffs. Uh, he doesn't normally um, win at, at places, at least lately, that aren't restrictor plate tracks. But Sonoma, Watkins Glen, those are good places for him, too. We're talking with Tyson Lautenschlager uh, here as we kind of wrap up our uh, uh, NASCAR segment. You know, there hasn't been a back-to-back winner at Sonoma since Jeff Gordon won three straight uh, from 1998 to 2000. Do you think Kevin Harvick can break that streak, break that record this weekend? Oh, yeah. I I don't think you can uh, go anywhere this season and say Kevin Harvick has no chance of winning. He has been the dominant driver all year, so uh, I think by all means he could easily uh, win this weekend. I, I don't think I necessarily have him picked to win, but it, I wouldn't be surprised if he did. So uh, we, we, we don't talk much about the K&M Pro Series, but they are going to be out there uh, in, in Sonoma this weekend. Uh, so what, what are your thoughts about the K&M Pro Series? I know that that's... Uh, I believe that's recently been bought by NASCAR. Uh, So uh, talk with us a little bit about that developmental series that's going to be racing out there in Sonoma. Well, yeah, we got some uh, development, and then we have some cup drivers who are running this race. And the cup drivers that that run uh, the K&N series at Sonoma, they they do so uh, in order to uh, gain experience for the cup race and because they just don't feel confident in their uh, road course racing skills. So you have... uh, Eric Almirola, who has uh, several um, cup uh, road course starts behind him, but he is running this weekend. Just uh, uh, He's never felt that comfortable on road courses, so he's running a, a Tony Stewart car this weekend. Uh, and then you have uh, Alex Bowman, uh, William Byron, and Daniel Suarez. And I think there's uh, one more. It could be Eric Jones that's running this weekend. Uh, just to get you know extra um, extra road course experience, and those guys are definitely going to be probably the ones to beat. Uh, but you, you also can't forget Will Rogers, who has been um, – Kevin Harvick ran this uh, K&N series race last year and uh, caught the attention uh, – Will Rogers caught his attention of being someone who was very talented. He's a young kid, uh, about 19 or 20 years old, and every time the K&N series runs on these, uh, these road courses, he's always in contention. Uh, he has three K&N East wins, including one last weekend at New Jersey Motorsports Park. Uh, he won there last year and also won the K&N race at Watkins Glen. So uh, he led practice yesterday. He's beating these cup drivers, and I think he can do it in the race again. I think he's going to be the guy that uh, if a cup driver doesn't win, it's going to be um, Will Rogers. Maybe Derek Krause can pull something out, but Will Rogers is going to be the guy to keep your eye on in that race. Tyson Lodgesager of OnPitRoad.com. Make sure you give him a follow and, and, and follow NASCAR on what's going on there. Are you following the World Cup at all, sir? I am. I've been uh, I've been a little bit busy with uh, my regular day job, but I've been trying to follow it. I was uh, watching uh, Brazil and Costa Rica yesterday morning, and uh, I watched uh, the little bit of Iceland and Nigeria that I could uh, before I had to go to work, and I was very disappointed to – uh, get on my break at work and see Iceland lost because that was a really cool underdog story. But I have been following uh, World Cup as much as I can. You know, you mentioned Iceland. I heard, and I think his name is 
Uh, Lynn Ivskun, I'm probably, I'm sure I just butchered that name. Uh, he's part of the um, uh, Legislative Assembly of uh, Manitoba, and he's related oh, to yeah. 22 of the 23 Iceland players. Yeah, there's um, there's an interesting story that uh, TSN, which is basically Canada's ESPN, played uh, yesterday. Manitoba, which is the province right next to me, uh, going uh, west in Canada, that they have the most ice like most Icelandic population in the world aside from Iceland. Uh, a lot of people, I guess, in the 1870s, they had some uh, they had a, a volcano, so they all migrated and all went to Manitoba. Um, so it's a very uh, Icelandic province, oh. I guess. I did not know that until yesterday. Well, there you go. We learn something new every day, don't we, sir? Absolutely. Tyson Lodgeslager joins us. Uh, Tyson, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? Yeah, so as always, you can uh, go to onpitroad.com to check out everything we're doing, uh, whether it's NASCAR, IndyCar, um, anything else uh, for coverage and you can follow me on or on twitter at on tyson oh my gosh i can't speak today tyson lot 23 and follow uh, on pit road on twitter at on pit road tom are you there buddy National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. All right, welcome back to the ballots. We are alive, believe it or not. I do not know what happened. Just gremlins come running through uh, the ballot studio here. Joining us now, uh, Derek Schultz of the Aquarian Schultz Show, Fox 97 FM and iHeartRadio. How are you, sir? Gremlins, I hate gremlins. I love the movie, but I, I don't Man. like I don't like technical gremlins. <laughs> Somebody must have fed them something. I don't know. We were rolling right along just fine, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, poop. It, it, it's one of those unexplained things that you know that happens in radio that you just 
kind of like, oh well, just keep keep talking so somebody can hear us, right? <laughs> just yeah, it happens, man. You know, we we've got for our radio station, we've got uh, we we basically have three full time engineers, and even with three full time guys that are on call all the time. Every once in a while, something pops up, and all three of them look at each other like, man, I have no idea if this thing's haunted or there are gremlins or whatever else. So I hear you, man. It's just part of the business. Well, let's get into this NBA draft talk. Certainly we'll talk about the NBA draft overall, uh, but I know you're located here in Indianapolis with us. I think in a lot of ways, uh, Holiday coming to the Pacers is a, is, a, is a good thing, and I give him a passing grade. I at least give him a B-plus on what Pritchard was able to do with the, the Pacers in the draft. Thoughts? Yeah, to be honest with you, Tom, I never really thought much or read much into Aaron Holiday because I assumed that he wasn't going to be on the board when the Pacers selected. So the guys that we spent a lot of time on were guys like Jalen Brunson and uh, Javon Carter from West Virginia and the uh, Jacob Evans kid from Cincinnati and, and guys that we knew would be, and of course they were, would be available at 23. So I think it was a nice surprise for the Pacers. Uh, for, for most people, he was viewed as the guy that was just below the Trey Young sort of tier as far as point guards were concerned. There was, a, there was an elite level for point guards, Doncic and guys like that. And then below that, I, I think that second tier at the very top was Aaron Holiday. Um, I love the fact that he's a two-way player. He led the Pac-12 in scoring. He was an all-league defensive team pick. Um, and even though he has some size limitations, he's 6'1", which isn't huge. He is a good athlete. He's got a great wingspan. The measurables that they talk about are all good. And I think at 22 years old, he can come in and play right away. And, and the Pacers last year made a pick in T.J. Leaf that was a project pick. They were thinking two or three years down the line with this surprising season that they had and, and being ready to win right now they were able to look for somebody that could come in and, and be a rotational guy right away, which I think Holiday can. Well, absolutely. I think that's exactly what the Pacers need. Now let's talk a little bit about the Pacers coming up in free agencies. Do we keep Miles Turner? Do we look around? Uh, we, we, you know, there's a lot of big – I'm not saying LeBron James. I'm just saying there's a lot of big free agents that are coming. Do we let a guy like uh, Miles Turner go so that we can do well in free agency? Well, he's definitely going to be part of the team next year. Um, that, that, that decision is going to pop up next summer when he's due the rookie extension and, and goes into restricted free agency. Um, I think this next year is not a make-or-break year for Miles Turner, but in year four, he's got to show that he can be maybe not a franchise-type player, but certainly a, a building block, a foundation piece player for this team because the Pacers have to figure out if they're going to try to play Sabonis and Turner together, or if they're going to have to split those two up. And if they have to split those two up, ideally you would trade one of them. Um, And as of right now, I think you'd give the edge to Sabonis as being the more polished player, but I still think Turner has the most potential. So this is a really big year for him. Um, He's got to add some strength and some bulk and and do some stuff with his body to uh, be more of an interior presence and not just a perimeter guy. But I love his all-around game, and um, I was disappointed. I think a lot of people in Indianapolis were disappointed. They were expecting this to be a big leap year for Turner in year three, and and it just wasn't. If anything, I think he took a little bit of a step back. So uh, I don't think this summer is when the Pacers are going to make that decision. I think that decision is coming 
next summer, but this is the biggest summer of Miles Turner's life because he's got to uh, transform, transform some things in his game and, and make sure that he's able to hit the ground running coming up this fall for a crucial year four. Well, you know, at least he's doing a good job of trying to brand himself that he is serious about getting into shape. I don't know if you saw his social media pictures of the before and after pictures uh, where he wasn't so ripped, and now he's he's pretty uh, uh, ripped up and, and, and in shape, and I think he wants people to see that. Is it, you think that was kind of more of a, hey, I'm, I'm ready, I'm going to have a good summer, and I'm going to be ready to play. Do you think that was a strategic photo, or is he was just, you know, doing whatever social media does these days? I mean, yeah, did he want people to see it? Probably. I mean, I'd want if I looked like that, I'd want people to see it on social media, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but I, I think the, the thing about Turner is that no one's ever questioned his work ethic. He is an incredibly mature kid for 22 years old. He was a mature kid when the Pacers drafted him three years ago. I mean, I was shy. I went to his, I went to his workout when they brought him in before the draft. He was working out with Frank Kaminsky. And remember, at the time, we were thinking that the Pacers might be in play for Kaminsky. And, and, of course, he was off the board by the time they picked that 11. And I couldn't believe that he was 19 years old. Um, he, he's intelligent, smart, mature, all of it. And, and he works his butt off. So I don't think that's ever been the question. I think the question for Turner is, what are you? What, what are you going to be in the NBA? Are you a stretch four? Are you a power forward? Are you some combination of those two things? And I think his biggest problem has been that he has straddled that fence where it, when he goes up against more physical bigs, he gets pushed around. And then when he tries to just kind of camp out on the perimeter, there are some consistency issues there because he's just not quite polished enough to be that sort of guy. So I, I think that he can be both. I think he can be a little bit of both, but it just requires a, a lot more progress from the point that he's at right now. I don't think anybody expected the Pacers to have the season that they had this year going into this year, especially after the Paul George trade. Clearly they came out on the bright side of that. I had an opportunity to talk with Victor Owen Depot out at the track this year when he, when he drove the pace car. But uh, the, the thing about it, I asked him, I said, do you think that you found your, your home here with Indiana? Even though I know you went to college here, do you think that you found a home here as a, as a leader on this team? He says, I think so. I hope so. I want to be. Uh, and I think that he's proven to the fan base, especially, that he wants to be a Pacer long-term. And don't you think that he's also proven to the organization and, and Pritchard and everybody involved over there that, that he wants to be a Pacer for a long-term? Yeah, I don't think there's any question about it. Um, I, I think as, as much as people are enamored with Oladipo because he's become a, a really good player, uh, people are enamored with him because he loves Indiana. Uh, he's not from here, but he loves it. And, and that dates back to his days at, at IU. Um, he just really embraced it and, and was all about the state. And people here love it when people who aren't from here get what it means for people from here to be from here. If that makes sense, it's a really long-winded way to say it. But people are very territorial. And, and that's not just an Indiana thing. That's a middle America thing. Uh, there's a lot of pride associated with being from Indianapolis or being from Indiana. And when somebody like Oladipo comes from D.C., and embraces that, the, the, the Hoosierness, if you will, um, I think people really just eat it up. And, uh, and, and I don't think it's fake. I, I think that Oladipo has always loved Indiana. I think that he understands that while he wasn't, uh, you know, he, he wasn't a, a, a non-major recruit, he wasn't a two-star recruit or anything like that, he had some good programs that looked at him. He was, I think, a fringe top 150 guy when he was coming out of high school. 
he was not one of these McDonald all American five star shoe brand kind of guys. And Tom Crean in Indiana, the former coach, of course, took a chance on him and it ended up paying dividends. I think by the time he was a junior, he was the best player in the country. I know Trey Burke won the award, but I, I think Victor Oladipo was the best player in the country in 2013. And uh, a, a lot of that is due to the fact that Indiana took a chance on him and, and let him develop and grow. And it's good for Vic that he developed and grown. And, and we've seen that now with his NBA career where he was at kind of like Miles Turner. He was at a crossroads last summer. Are you just going to be a guy? Are you just going to be a complimentary piece? Or is there something else there? And Oladipo going into year five had a career year and the best career, the best season of his life because he really dedicated himself to it. Well, absolutely. And, you know, you talk about Indiana uh, loving people who come from from out of the state and, you know, becoming honorary Hoosiers, if you will. There's a guy from Connecticut that came to IU and studied radio. He's a pretty cool guy, too. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that's a good way to put it. You know, I, at least, I had some Indiana blood. Uh, with my, my parents were both from South Bend, so I at least had some sort of Indiana tie-ins. But, yeah, Oladipo just came here sight unseen, and and uh, his, every step of the way has handled it, I think, properly. And there's, there's no surprise that I think he's been fully embraced by, by uh, fans here. And that's the difference between him. I don't, I'm not trying to turn everything into, like, an anti-Paul George thing because I think Paul George is a tremendous player, but – I think there have been some guys that have come here that haven't quite understood that, and George was one of them, where uh, people want you to embrace Indiana and, and embrace them, and sometimes guys come here and, and they don't do that fully. Oladipo's done that 100%. We're talking with Derek Schultz of the Quarian Schultz Show, Fox 97 FM here in Indianapolis and iHeart uh, Radio. We're going to stay on the homer just real quickly here because I do want to get your thoughts because it, even though it's a homer story for us, it's a pretty big national story, and all, all the all the guys are talking about all the national guys are talking about it from Clay Travis to Dan Patrick uh, to people on the other networks uh, that that are talking about uh, uh, Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck throwing a football. We were all excited. But give us the realistic expectations that fans across the board, whether they're here in Indianapolis or, or wherever in, in, in the United States, can we expect Andrew Luck to be back? Is he, what, what can we – you guys look at Andrew Luck every single day. What are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I, I do think at this point, now that he's throwing and throwing actual footballs, I think it's fair to expect that Andrew Luck is going to be under center in week one. Um, It'll be interesting to see how they handle him at training camp, pitch counts, how much is he going to throw, how long is he going to throw, you know, how far is he going to throw. All of those things I think we'll focus on in July and August, and and then how much spin is he going to get in the preseason. Uh, I'm assuming he's going to be very limited when it comes to that, but I, I do think that it's important for him to get out there and get acclimated to getting hit again, even if it's for one series a game, just to, to do something uh, after being away from the game for a season and a half. Uh, but I think at this point, even though I've remained skeptical the entire time and, I, and I've been in I'll believe it when I see it mode, the fact that he's throwing now, I think the realistic expectation is that he should be under center week one because there's nothing medically that should prevent him from doing that. Um now, mentally or, you know, some things like that could pop up, and, and I don't want to say that it's 100% a guarantee that he's going to play, but I'm very encouraged by the fact that he's 
finally throwing out there. That, that was a really important first step for him to get out of the way before training camp. Absolutely. Well, we won't keep you much longer, but I did want to get your thoughts on the NBA draft across the board. But also, you know, another question that we've got to ask, everybody's on LeBron Watch 2018. What are your thoughts? I think he's going to end up in Los Angeles. Um, I think he I, – I honestly believe that he would like to stay in Cleveland. Um, his family is rooted there. His, his kids are coming up there. But I just don't think that the Cavaliers are going to give him a reason to stay. I, I think that's the problem. Um, at, at this point in his career, it, it's just it's championship or bust, uh, and and that's what he, that that's all he cares about now. He's done everything else, so th- there's really nothing else for him to do except go out and and put himself in the best position to win championships. And I just don't think Cleveland is, is going to be able to put him in that position. Uh, so I think he's going to be able to recruit somebody else to go to Los Angeles. I I think it'll be really interesting to see how this Kawhi Leonard situation works out um it, it's very similar to the paul george indiana situation last year where he told the team he prefers being in la but the, i don't think there's any chance that san antonio would ship him to la uh for any package i think they take 40 cents on the dollar just to not ship him to la but i think that's a big domino that that is going to affect lebron's decision uh as far as the draft is concerned um, I, I think this is a good class. I, I really do think that this is going to end up being uh, a class where you've got, you know, five or six probably notable players and, and then uh, anywhere close to a dozen that at least do something, you know, have some kind of a role in the league. Um, I really like the two Duke guys, Wendell Carter and, and Marvin Bagley. I think both of them are going to have nice careers and are nice fits for where they are. Um, Trey Young in Atlanta, I think could work out. I'm, I'm high on him. I know some people think that he's going to end up being a bust. And uh, I think the depth of this draft was really strong. I mean, we talked about Aaron Holiday earlier in the conversation. That was the, the 23rd pick in the draft, and, and he's got a chance to right away be a rotational player. You know, even Grayson Allen. People hate Grayson Allen. I, I think Grayson Allen could come in the league and carve out a niche for himself. So um, I think it's a good group. Uh, I, I liked watching a lot of those guys play in college, and I, I think that it'll bear out that way once they end up making their professional debuts. You mentioned Grayson Allen, and I think he was the biggest talk or buzz going into uh, the NBA draft, but I think he's going to have a mediocre impact in, on the league itself. I mean, I don't know that he's the superstar. Well, let me put it this way. I don't know that he'll be the superstar in the NBA that he was at Duke. No, I mean, I don't think he's – don't get me wrong. He was the 21st pick in the draft. So, when you're picking 21st, you're not thinking that you're taking a superstar. Um, I don't think he's going to be a superstar. I don't think he's going to be anything close to a franchise player. What I mean is I think that he can – you know, could, could he have – if he had J.J. Redick's career, uh, then that pick is a grand slam. You know, J.J. Redick has been a very capable NBA – I don't think J.J. Redick's ever been an all-star. But J.J. Redick's been a very capable NBA player for a dozen years. J.J. Redick got signed for $20 million plus last year uh, by, by Philly, so he's doing something right. Um, that's kind of what I envision for Grayson Allen, sort of a, a poor man's Redick, uh, but he's going to have to find a way to become elite in one area because I, I think that's really the key for these guys. It's, um, you know, he's 6'4", and he's a shooting guard, so naturally he's going to be at a little bit of a disadvantage. Um, but I, I think he can carve out a niche for himself. 
Well, Coach K is uh, not going to have any problem recruiting, as if he ever would with Duke. He never has a problem recruiting. They had, they had, I think it was a record of four people uh, from Duke went into the NBA draft. He had Bagley, Carter, Allen, and, and uh, Gary Trent, I believe, were all four guys from Duke that went into the NBA draft. So not a bad class from Duke representation side anyway. No, you're right about that. I remember a year, I think it was almost 20 years ago, like the 99 draft where it was Trajan Langdon, Elton Brand, William Avery, and I think Corey Maggette all ended up being draft picks. And I think all of them were first rounders. I might be wrong. Maybe length. I think the stat was that Duke sent four guys in the first round. Um, so maybe that, that class, that, that was one other class that I remember that, that they had four NBA draft picks that same year, but you know, like you said, man, it, it's Coach K. This is just what he does. Uh, and so I, I'm not surprised by it at all. Uh, they're, they're an unbelievable program. Kentucky, the same thing. Kentucky, Kentucky sends four or five guys. That Kevin Knox kid I think is going to be really good. Um, these, North Carolina, I know, didn't really do that this year. But these, these programs like that are, are churning out guys in the NBA draft every year. Dallas Mavericks picked up their guy, uh, uh, Luca Doka, uh, I can't even say his name, uh, but certainly, uh, I think. yeah, there you go. You're, you're the official uh, pronounced uh, pronounced decator, if you will. Uh, Derek Schultz of the Quarry Schultz Show on 97 FM uh, here in Indianapolis. Certainly one of the best afternoon shows here in the Indianapolis market. If, you, if you're here, give us a listen, but also you can listen to them anywhere on iHeartRadio, uh, I believe. But where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? Uh, at Schultz975 on Twitter, and then uh, FoxSports975.com if you want to check that out. And I do like to think that we're a top three afternoon show in Indianapolis, so that's nice of you to say <laughs> Well, you know, I've, I've had all three of you on at some point or the other, and you all get top billing with me. So <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it, man. All right, Derek, have yourself a good afternoon. All right, thank you very much. Take care. All righty. Derek Schultz of the Query Schultz Show. That's kind of an inside radio joke here in Indianapolis. There is only three afternoon drive shows in Indianapolis. So uh, you got uh, J&B, Ken Sterling, and you got uh, Query and Schultz. So uh, <laughs> we, we, we try to give them all good billing. But great conversation we had uh, regarding, uh, you know, uh, the Pacers uh, pick and getting Holiday here and certainly Andrew Luck in the NBA draft overall. My name is Tom Marquisel, Presidente. We'll be back. Final quarter coming up. Mo from BS Sports Show uh, joins us, and we'll continue this conversation about the NBA draft, breaking it down, uh, breaking down a little bit of uh, action in the MLB. Uh, we're going to kind of start getting into our MLB conversations as well. My name is Tom Mark with Sale President. A 917 Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. 
In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike... You know, dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything.
It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. Presidente, yeah, we've uh, we've slipped into the uh, uh, movie set of Deliverance <laughs> today. You never know what's going to happen on the balance bumper music rotation. Just stand by; it's always going to be good. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight five one six is our digits. We're going into our fourth quarter. Everything. Uh, try to get a hold of Mo from the BS Sports Show. We lost his call in the, in in the uh, finagle, and then we do have him now, Mo from the BS Sports Show. How are you, sir? Oh, good, man. I forgot to uh, plug in my phone earlier, and I called you on my phone, my dad. And I've been up all night playing oh. poker, so I'm tired. There you go. Well, uh, thanks for taking a gamble on the balance today. We uh, we appreciate Ooh, it. Well uh, played, so, yeah, you like that. You saw what I did there, huh? Yes. Uh, so, yeah, well, fourth quarter, uh, thanks to uh, uh, Matthew Embry uh, of Popular Open Wheel Now, talking about uh, Road America and uh, IndyCar, and of course, Tyson Lotschlager, uh gave us a call to talk with us a little bit about NASCAR up out in wine country in Sonoma. And we just had uh, Derek Schultz of the Query and Schultz Show, uh, Fox 97 FM here in Indianapolis and iHeartRadio. Uh, we were talking, uh, Mo, about the NBA draft and certainly getting uh, the intake on the on the Pacers. So we'll start with there, and then we'll kind of work our way around the draft and, and just kind of uh, talk about whatever. But the Pacers pick up Holiday from UCLA. I think that was a good, solid pick, and I think in a lot of ways, this is the kind of guy that can come in, uh, can be in a good rotation, and really do a good job for the Pacers. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're looking at a guy uh, who's a scorer who can play on or off the ball, uh, which is good because, you know, Victor Oladipo needs the ball in his hand a lot too. Uh, a point guard that doesn't make many mistakes. Uh, super fast. I mean, one of the fastest times when they're going through combine stuff. Uh, you know, got two brothers, obviously, who are solid NBA players. Uh, you know, and the Pacers, I think, are looking to groom their point guard of the future. Uh, and I, I think they, they took the best available player, but also a pick that addresses need. And, you, you know, you hope that he uh, develops into a guy uh, who can create his own shots and, and make that outside shot. I, I think it's a nice complimentary piece, uh, you know, with guys like Miles Turner and Victor Oladipo. You know, we've seen the Pacers uh, – 
uh, not do well with uh, some picks in the past uh, from UCLA uh, who've been kind of a bust. And uh, I think this is actually a really good pick. Uh, you know, when you can get a guy like this at 23, I think it's very good. Uh, so I, I think the Pacers did very well. Do you think that the Pacers I, – I just really like where they're at. Like the way they ended their year. You've got to be happy there. Like what they did in the draft. I, I, I think if you're a Pacer fan, you've you, you got to be pretty happy with the blue and gold. Yeah, I think so. The, the thing that, one of the things that worries me, though, is because of the success that they had last year is that they're going to overpay uh, for a guy who's a middle-of-the-road guy. You know, I, I, I know that uh, Chris Mannix has, has said that uh, he feels an uh, interest in the Pacers and Marcus Smart and Smart's looking for a big deal, and I would hate to see the Pacers uh, spend a ton of money on a piece like Smart, who is a good player and a very valuable player on, uh, you know, on, on the Boston team, but uh, I would hate to see the Pacers overpay uh, for a guy like that. But there's still a market uh, where it's hard to bring in the uh, top-name uh, free agents. So uh, I can understand the need for it, and I think Marcus Smart would be a player who would fit in good with this Pacers team. I would just don't want to see the Pacers – because of the success they had last season, overpay for a guy who isn't a game changer, who's just a, a piece of the puzzle. Well, there is a piece of the puzzle with the Pacers, and that's Miles Turner. This summer, this season has to be it for him. He has to prove that he has what it takes. Uh, uh, you know, right now, you've got Miles Turner and Sabaya, I can't pronounce his name, I apologize, uh, in that rotation. And, you know, I saw a picture on Instagram and the more I, I, not that I'm looking at his body, but I'm just saying the more I looked at this picture of the before and after pictures, I think he's trying to send a message to one, to the fans and two, to the Pacers organization that he's getting in shape. He's getting stronger and he, he, he can be competitive. The thing is with miles Turner, as we just talked about in the last segment, he's not found himself yet. He's not identified himself yet. And this very well could be his last season with the Pacers. I mean, you know, we, I've heard some of the folks somewhere this week where, you know, we're, we're quick to judge and guys uh, in the NFL, we give them, you know, two or three years. And then we, we, you know, judge whether the pick was a bust. You know, I think uh, a lot of people point out this week that you really have to give NBA guys, about five years, especially guys who are young. You know, Miles Turner, 18, 19 years old when he comes in the league. He's a kid who's still maturing. You know, he's a, he's a guy that can't go out with the rest of his teammates and drink uh, when he first came in the league. You know, so he's a guy who had to, you know, learn how to uh, get through the rigors of an 82-game NBA season, which he hasn't successfully done. Uh, but he's a guy who's still learning not only who he is as a person, but who he is as a basketball player. I, I like what he brings to the floor uh, a lot of times, you know, because the the big man game has become a lot more about – uh, a guy who can, you know, stretch the outside as opposed to just protecting the rim. But Miles Turner can do both. But it, it seems like there are some games where he's not engaged, and I think that that comes with, with maturity. And I think that, uh, you know, Victor Oladipo is a leader of this team, uh, you know, and I think that, that's where a guy like Thaddeus Young is an important piece, not only because of what he gives you on the floor, but a guy who's been through the rigors of, this, of the NBA for, you know, 10 years now. And I think a guy like Thaddeus Young is very important to a guy like Miles Turner, I agree. This is a year where he's really, I think, needs to, uh, you know, show that he's focused and can play a, a complete NBA season. But I, I do like what he brings to the floor. I love, uh, I love Sabonis as well. Uh, you know, another guy who comes in and just gives you hard minutes. A guy who just never quits moving and quits going after the ball. So, uh, rotation-wise, as far as it goes, there to know, I like what they got, and I really hope the Pacers and Patty Sean can figure out a way to to bring him back because I think what he brings to this team, not only uh, on the floor but leadership-wise, is, is invaluable to the Pacers. 
Yeah, we'll see, and hopefully that'll that'll pan out for the Pacers. Let's take a look across the board on the on the NBA draft. Let's just kind of uh, give them uh, uh, a, a look here. Uh, DeAndre Aiden uh, went number one overall with the Phoenix Suns, uh, which was a pretty obvious pick. But what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I think honestly the better pick for them would have been uh, Luka Doncic, uh, his coach had coached him before uh, in the year league. I mean, Aiden is a guy who's just a freak of nature when it comes uh, to his size and uh, his athletic ability. Uh, you know, he's got a lot of tools to become a, a dominant offensive big man. The thing is, I mean, he, he can shoot to, uh, an outside shot, but, you know, he's better around the rim, which, you know, that's a kind of a thing that's become a little passe in the NBA uh, is, is a guy who just plays uh, down with his back to the basket. But, you know, he's got athleticism uh, to become a good defender, which he'll have to do. Um, I, I think he was a guy that, to, you know, was going to stay there because of his owners to Arizona, his side is Arizona. But I think there were some better picks. I think, you know, Marvin Bagley probably at the end of the day will be a better player between the two. But, you know, it made sense for everything that Phoenix is trying to do. When you can't compete, you know, you still got to put butts in the seats and, and bringing in uh, DeAndre Aiden was a way to do that. Plus, I mean, I think he'll be a good compliment to a, a guy like Devin Booker. So, I think they got a lot better in this draft, but I don't know that that would have been who I would have picked number one overall, but I understand it, and it makes sense. You mentioned Marvin Bagley. He uh, went number two overall to the Kings. And, you know, I think it feels like, it seems like, that uh, his uh, teammate, uh, uh, Grayson Allen, he went 21st overall, obviously not a superstar, but it just seems like uh, that more people were talking about Grayson Allen than they were talking about Marvin Bagley, and clearly Marvin Bagley, and he was only a freshman with Duke, is a better player than Grayson Allen will ever be. No no pun on, against him. Obviously, Grayson Allen's a great player. I don't know that he's going to be an NBA superstar. In fact, I'm pretty sure that he's not. Uh, but it just seems like uh, that he kind of stole the show from uh, 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 Marvin Bagley. If, if I'm wrong on that, that's fine. But it just, it just felt that way. Well, I think because, you know, with Grayson Allen, he's a guy who is older. But, you know, we saw, got to see a lot more of Grayson Allen in college. Plus, I, I think where he was picked, I, I think Grayson Allen is a good fit uh, in Utah. But I don't feel like he feels more like a, a Tyler Hansbrough-type career to me than uh, he does of, of a guy who's going to be an NBA All-Star as far as Grayson Allen goes. Marvin Bagley, I mean, to me, uh, he reminds me a lot of Andrew, uh, of Andrew Wiggins, just with more size and more hustle, uh, you know, but – Sacramento is like where NBA players' careers go to die as over the last 10 years. You know, they, they continue to pick, you know, towards the top of the draft and don't get any better. They've got a young, exciting team and a lot of uh, really fun young players, but they just don't seem to uh, to improve. And, you know, for uh, Marvin Begley's sake, I hope that, uh, that you know, they can maybe turn this uh, Sacramento team around last year, a team that had 29 wins uh, it, it, and continues to, you know, pull towards the bottom of the West. The other problem is for a team like Sacramento, You've got, uh, you know, just in a completely stacked Western Conference. So it, it's really hard to, even with all these young picks and this, this young team, they have to continue to try to move their way up the ladder. So, uh, you know, Marvin Begley, I think, will, will turn out to be a very good player in the NBA, if not great. And I, I think it's a good pick for the Kings. But overall, the Kings, I think, just need to get it together between the front office and the coaching staff as well. We saw a trade in number three, and that's between the Hawks and the Dallas Mavericks. And uh, the, certainly Dallas Mavericks made uh, this pick after sending the number five pick and, and, and a 2019 protected first rounder to the Hawks. Uh, and, and that's Luke Dokio Do- 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 Uh Go with that, yeah. 
<laughs> but what are your thoughts on that pick? That's a pretty good pick, and I think that's exactly who the Mavericks wanted. Yeah, I mean, you know, they gave a they paid a pretty high price to move up two spots. But I think if you look at a guy like Luka Doncic, uh, he's a guy who's probably the most NBA ready to play. Uh, he's played in the Luka Euro League years and won. <laughs> yep, and won won, won two championships for the last two years. Uh, he's a guy who can pass, who can shoot, uh, who can create his own shot, uh, who plays defense. And not only that, but you've got uh, a year now to where you know for for Mark Cuban and the Mavericks, uh, you know. He's got a, a Mavericks team that wasn't as bad as they wound up being once they the injury bug hit them last year. Uh, you know they started tanking and and I think that the uh, they trade that first round pick uh, because it's not going to be as valuable next year because I think they're going to be a much better team. And he you know uh, Doncic comes in and he gets a year uh, you know uh, with uh, uh, Dirk and I think it's going to be a fun team. Uh, you know the, a very fun backcourt now with. Uh, with Dennis Smith Jr. and Luka Doncic. So I think Dallas is going to be a, a team this year, and I think, you know, they uh, they did what they needed to do to get them to the guy they wanted, and I think it was a very good pick for them. Speaking of very good picks, you, you got to look at Jaron Jackson with the Grizzlies. I mean, a lot of people say that he's, well, one, he's good defensively, uh, but a lot of people say that in a few years, this guy could be the next big man that the NBA has been looking for. Yeah, you know, and uh, I got to know Jaron a little bit. Uh, I know his dad pretty well. His dad was an assistant coach here with the, the G League team for a few years and also played here uh, in Fort Wayne for a time. And you look at it, the second youngest player in the draft, uh, you know, you hope that uh, he's going to be able to add more muscle. The guy is just a, an athletic freak. Uh, he can score the basketball. Um, he can. He's just a monster on defense. But, you know, the problem was at times, he would seem to disappear in games, you know, because of foul trouble with Michigan State. But when he's on the floor, uh, you know, he's a guy that's fun. Uh, if you look at him, uh, you know, he's he's got a long body. He can move the ball. Uh, he's a big man who can pass. Uh, and, you know, he comes from a lineage where his dad was uh, an NBA champion with the uh, Spurs. Uh, seems like he's got a good family unit around him. So I, I think this is a kid uh, that, uh, that can be a fun NBA player. The only thing, again, for these guys coming in 18, 19 years old, uh, it's just, you know, you, they have to adapt to life so quick. They're, uh, you know, they, they're high-profile guys now. Now they've got money, and you're moving into a, a city that you're not familiar with, and you've got to try to, uh, you know, balance all that plus your NBA career. Oh, and by the way, you're 18 years old. I mean, this is a guy who enrolled in Michigan State at 17. So, uh, you know, I, I think he has the the, uh, the ability to become the the best player in this draft, but it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of dedication and. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, that uh, he's a kid who can do it. Well, we'll see how, how it pans out. You know, I, I'm still on the fence, and, and I know it's, it's like it's, it's their brand. It's their, it's their business. If they want to go to college, they can. If not, they, but I'm just not a, a big fan of, well, you know, we're, we're going to see the same thing in IU. You know, we're going to have this conversation about uh, IU, uh, and then in one year we're going to, he's going to be gone. I'm just not a big fan of these freshmen coming into the NBA. I'm not a big fan of 18-year-old kids coming into the NBA. As you mentioned with Miles Turner uh, earlier, you know, he was 18 years old when he came on uh, with the Pacers, couldn't even go have a drink with his fellow teammates. Uh, and, and now we're a few years in, and we're starting to see how things are. My, my, my point being, going back to what you were saying earlier, you, you said we've got to give these NBA players four to five years because, you know, they're 18 years old. That's my point. Give them four years in college. Let's let's stop drafting freshmen out of college in the NBA. Okay, that's this is me stepping off my soapbox. Go ahead, sir. Well, I mean the problem is with that though is you know a lot of guys 
aren't aren't built for college. I mean, not everybody is built for college, and you know, you got a lot of these guys who, ooh, because maybe of academics or or other things, or guys taking it, uh, you know, benefits that we wouldn't see for four years anyway. So I, I think that uh, you know the reason that uh, it, it is one is just you know you figure these kids go to school then they go to class for six months. Once they they get their eligibility for that first semester, they're not going back to the class. And after the uh, season's over, they're going to uh, work out. They're not going back to class. So uh, I, I don't think you know everybody here is built for school. And I don't think I think what that would be the problem with some of these good players. We would wind up not even seeing them for four years, even if that was required. You know, we had a lot of guys. You know, there, there's three guys in this draft. Uh, who didn't play any college ball at all, who had to sit out a year, put overseas, or, or play in the G League. So yeah, I agree, you know, it would be better for the overall product for four years, but I still, even with that, I don't think we'd see some of these guys play for uh, for four years just because of other problems off the court. Well, we'll talk about that trade with uh, with Dallas and, and Atlanta. Atlanta Hawks, they pick up uh, Trey Young, another freshman from Oklahoma. Uh, this is a, 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 a good player that has a lot of upside for the Hawks. It is, but what's interesting, you know, you've got a new uh, front office and a new coach there, is, you know, that means that uh, Dennis Schroeder, who has been a very productive player for them, is going to have to be on the move because you're not going to play a two-point guard system there. Uh, you know, Trey Young is a guy uh, who's, you know, compared to Steph Curry a lot because of the way he shoots the ball, the way he can shoot from anywhere uh, and make it. But there's been a lot of times uh, when he looked tired over this last season uh, and would have uh, horrific games, couldn't get the game going, people keyed on him. You know, and that's going to happen again uh, in uh, in uh, Atlanta because, you know, there aren't a lot of good players in Atlanta. So I think, I think it's going to be a tough year for Trey Young. I mean, I think – He'll be exciting and fun to watch. He's a very marketable guy. But I, I think he's, we're going to see him have a uh, tough rookie year, especially towards the end of the season, because, again, like I said, he looks like he tired out there towards the end of uh, Oklahoma season. So a fun pick, but it, it's a curious one because you had a very good uh, point guard in Atlanta who is probably going to have to be on the move now at this point and then a shooter. So uh, I understand, you know, with the front office, with the guys coming from uh, Golden State, they're trying to create Golden State 2.0. Uh, but it, I, uh, a fun move, and, and again, this could be a guy who turns out to be a great player. But uh, uh, he definitely has a lot to uh, a lot to work on to uh, become that. Let's look at a couple other teams. Then I want to get into some MLB talk uh, uh, because, believe it or not, baseball season is here. <laughs> Even though we've been talking about everything else in the brother but baseball, uh, but it is time to get back into the baseball talk as well. Uh, Orlando Magic uh, pick up a good center, uh, Mohamed Bama. Uh, I think that's how you say it. Bama, Mohamed Bama, maybe. Uh, he's a, a freshman from Texas. Uh, he's a He's seven foot ten, big guy. I mean, you, what more can you say? Center, here's the ball, block. I mean, it, a center's job is relatively easy. Uh, I say that I couldn't play at that position, but you know, at seven ten, I mean, who's going to stop him? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Mo Bamba's got one of the, uh, if not the biggest wingspan ever measured at the uh, NBA Combine. Uh, I think with him, it makes you curious to think that. Uh, the Magic don't think that they're going to re-sign or be able to re-sign uh, Aaron Gordon. Uh, or if they do, they're going to you know, have a pretty uh, hefty front line there. Uh, here, another guy who is uh, uh, a young guy, um, but he's not a, a great offensive player. Uh, he is a rim protector and a very good one, so he's a guy who's going to have to add some size in the NBA. And, uh, you know, I don't know offensively how much, uh, how much you're going to get out of him. He's got, uh, you know, uh, obviously a very good upside, uh, but to 
and see if he develops. Uh, you know, I, I don't know, but uh, it'll be curious to see what happens now once free agency starts to see if uh, Aaron Gordon's the guy who sticks around uh, to play alongside Mo Bamba, or we see him playing somewhere else. Absolutely. We'll see what happens there. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr. Uh, goes to the Bulls, another Duke uh, player. Duke had four, uh, and I think that's a record for a, a class from Duke going into the NBA draft. Uh, but uh, Duke had four, and uh, Wendell Carter was one of them. And I think he's very solid, and he'll be an easy plug-in player uh, for the Bulls there. Yeah, I think he wants to be in a very, a very solid NBA center. Uh, he's a guy... Uh, you know, who was uh, alongside Marvin Bagley gave uh, gave Duke a very uh, very good front line this year. You know, you par, uh, pair him with a guy like Laurie Markkinen, who was uh, a standout for the Bulls uh, last year in his rookie year. I think you have a very fun front court for the Bulls for uh, for years to come. Now, are they going to be able to put pieces around him? Uh, he's a guy I think, who, like you said, will come in and be uh, be a very good player right at the start. Uh, you know, and give the Bulls uh, solid minutes and solid production. Uh, is he a guy that's going to be a, a five-time All-Star? Probably not, but the guy who who gives uh, uh, Lori Markin with the Bulls some more room to operate on, I think that's good for that team. You know, uh, Cavaliers, we can't end a segment without talking about the Cavaliers. LeBron James, uh, they pick up uh, point guard uh, Colin Sexton out of Alabama. A lot of people think that this guy can come in. I'm not going to say that he's going to be a LeBron James replacement because that's impossible. But he's going to come in and be LeBron James replacement. And that he'll, he'll be looked to in the, over the next few years to uh, take that leadership role over there in Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, if LeBron sticks around, it's like having, uh, you know, Kyrie Irving Light. Uh, he's a guy uh, who can shoot the basketball, who can also create his own shot, but is a very good passer. I think that the the Cavs were hoping that uh, Trey Young fell to them. I think that was the guy that they were really targeting. Two reasons: a, because uh, he would be a fun player uh, with LeBron James, and b, uh, if LeBron does leave, he's a guy who's very marketable. Uh, you know, Colin Sexton, uh, you know, I think will be a, a solid NBA player. Uh, you know, alongside uh, LeBron James, he probably has a chance to be a, a very good NBA player. So I think he'll be solid if uh, if LeBron does leave. Uh, you know, it's a chance that. Uh, we're either going to see a lot of Colin Sexton because we'll be playing along, along LeBron, alongside LeBron James, or if LeBron leaves, we probably will see maybe one national game with, uh, with Colin Sexton. So he's going to be the most watched or the most not watched NBA rookie this year. Well, yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a very valid point. We're talking with Mo for the BS Sports Show. Well, Mo, let's uh, get into uh, baseball season. It is it, it, I will say it's finally here. It's been here since since April, but we've had so much other stuff going on. Now that the NBA is gone, we're in the uh, off season of uh, NFL. Oh, uh, squirrel Andrew Luck just threw a football. Uh, we're, we're not quite into our our uh, uh, training camps, so, so it's a good time to get into uh, baseball uh, talk. And so let's let's certainly uh, do that. Get a chance to watch uh, Jesus Alagares with with the Brewers. He's hit. Three home runs at the end, of the end of the, at the end of the game in, in in the last three games. Did you see that? You know, I, I caught the highlights. I, I I don't tend to uh, sit around and watch a bunch of Brewers games unless they are uh, they're playing the Cubs. But you know, he looks like a, a fun guy. But uh, man, uh, you know, talk about uh, talk about clutch. That's uh, he's been a guy who's been pretty clutch for the Brewers as of late. So, so thoughts on the Blue Jays closer, uh, Rob, Roberto Hosano, who's suspended for 75 games uh, without pay uh, on Friday for violating the Major League Baseball's domestic violence policy, the league announced. Now, I've got issues 
both ways with this. I'm glad that they're taking action against domestic violence. Don't get me wrong. But why is it that a player gets suspended for more games than if they uh, if if they uh, took a drug test and failed? Well, isn't the drug test suspension eighty games though? It might be. I think. Yeah, but I thought so, it was like you know, sixty. No, I think it's eighty because I think that's what uh, the uh, what uh, Robinson Cano is uh, serving right now is an eighty game suspension. It, you know, it, it's it's something that maybe the NFL should take a look at. Hey, here's how you actually uh, uh, handle uh, a case like this, uh, where a guy is actually punished and and missing basically you know half the season. Uh, the NFL has uh, has failed a lot of times when it's come to this, so. You know, I, I think Major League Baseball is trying to, uh, you know, be on the forefront of this. At the end of the day, though, the problem is, is that how can you say how many games or, or whatever is commensurate enough for uh, a guy to, that's convicted of domestic violence? You know, I mean, to her, does 75 games feel like enough? You know what I mean? I, I, it's hard to put a number on and go, oh, that, that's the right number. That's the right number. But, you know, the, the, at least they took action and tried to, uh, uh, you know, come down harshly on him. Uh, but, you know, it, again, for me, it's hard to say, well, you know, hey, that's the right number for it because I didn't go through it. Uh, so it, it feels like Major League Baseball did the right thing. And, uh, you know, hopefully that uh, the NFL will stand up and take notice. Well, here's the thing. He did agree to it, and he agreed not to, uh, to <coughs> excuse me, appeal it. He will end up missing, uh, which is retroactive back to May 8th, so it will go through August 4th. He will end up missing 89 days. Uh, 89 days, which will cost him about $2.54 million of his $5.3 million salary. Now, I am sorry, and I know this is going to sound sexist when I say this, so please don't take this in, in the aspect of, of, of me making light of domestic violence. But I am sorry. If you're making that kind of money, you can get any kind of woman you want. If she's making you that mad, walk away and go to the next one. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's a, that's a valid point. Uh, you know, a lot of it, though, sometimes it, for for athletes, it tends to uh, – it feels like it's more about a control thing than it is maybe at times anger. Uh, you know, you see a lot of the athletes when, who have, have you know, come down to this domestic violence thing. It, it hasn't been anything that was, you know, like, oh, she, he found out she cheated on him or beat his kids. Or something. You know, it, it, once but a lot of times I think it turns out it comes down to a, a control thing for these athletes because, you know, for the longest time nobody's ever told them no. So it feels like a lot of times it, it's uh, it, there. Uh, it happens to be something of of a culture with the uh, you know guys who are professional athletes because so many people for them for so long have just been saying yes, 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 and somebody says no, and I think it comes down a lot of times to more of a control thing. I'm in, by no way a psychiatrist, but it you know just it, it feels that way a lot of times. So uh, so you know if that's the case, it, it, it pack it up and move on. You know it's uh, it, it's it's not worth what the, you know the the reputation, the possible jail time, the you know the tarnish to just your life in general. It's uh, it's a dumb thing, and you know, and both ways, no man uh, should put in his hands on a woman, and no woman should be you know repeatedly putting her hands on a man. It's just it's stupid. Don't let a relationship get to that point. It's just dumb. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, talk a little bit about what's going on in the standings. Of course, my favorite uh, uh, division is the National League Central. So, of course, we're going to start there. Milwaukee Brewers got that down. Uh, the Cubs are two games back, and the Cardinals, oh, 
The Cardinals, it's just sick, sick as me, sick as me, sick as me, but we're six and a half games uh, back uh, from, uh, I'm, yeah, we're six and a half games back, and of course the Reds are in last place uh, at 15 games back. So uh, we're not even to the all-star break yet, but uh, what are your thoughts, National League Central, sir? Well, you know, I, I think the, the Cubs uh, need to figure out uh, uh, a little more pitching. You know, they've had guys who have been great, and they've had guys who have uh, who have been terrible on the staff. Uh, I think, you know, obviously the loss of Jake Arrieta, uh, the Cubs are still feeling. Uh, you, you drivers are probably going to be out until the All-Star break. And, you know, you have to figure that sooner or later uh, the Cubs' bats uh, collectively are going to come around. You know, when you've got – a guy who has struck out as many times as Javier Baez has over the last couple of years, who was actually having a very good season offensively. Uh, imagine if you get the rest of the bats going, it's going to be a very tough team uh, to take out when it comes, you know, October. But, uh, you know, I think the Cubs missed that, that one guy because it always came to when the Cubs needed a game, whether a regular season or playoffs, you put Jake Arrieta out there, you felt like, all right, we're going to get this win. And I don't think, you know, Lester's pitched very well, but I just, I don't think that the, the lineup has that confidence in any of the guys that they did Arietta. Uh, you know, with the Cardinals, it, it, it's a team that seems like over the past few years come to injuries. You know, the Cardinals will tend to get on a little bit of a roll, and then uh, a crucial injury, especially it feels like to a member of the pitching staff, uh, and I believe the, what the latest victim was Michael Walker. So uh, it's, uh, it's a team that uh, it feels like uh, uh, they're destined to be right in the middle of the pack these last few years because of injury. Um, you know the, the Pirates are, who are in a rebuild are, are not uh, not terrible. Uh, I mean, still nine games out, and, and the Reds are just a, a freaking dumpster fire. <laughs> the Reds are a dumpster fire. Well, sir, we're about to the end of our our show today, but uh, certainly in the East, Atlanta's got first place there. In the West, Arizona, there Yankees. Uh, everybody hates the Yankees. Everybody likes Boston, at least that's in my world, and Boston's only one game behind the Yankees in the National League, I mean in the American League East. What say you, sir? Well, I mean, you look at this Yankees team who, uh, you know, have been rumored to uh, look to add a, a few high-priced pieces before the trade deadline. Uh, you know, they're a team that uh, can definitely uh, beat the crap out of you when it comes to uh, to guys who can knock the ball the ballpark, but I think the the Yankees will look for a few more guys, uh, you know, like Blyber Torres, who can actually put the ball in play. Uh, because, you know, you middle lineup, you, you have a lot of power, but you also have a lot of strikeouts. Uh, they've had a pitching staff that's been good. You wonder uh, how long that can that can keep going uh, with that staff, because you do have some guys who are older, a couple guys who are injury prone. Uh, but, uh, you know, you look at, the, at this team, and they're a very fun team, again, who I think are even a little bit more ahead of the curve than they had thought to, at this point. Uh, but, you know, I think that they're going to look to add a couple of big pieces like the Yankees of, uh, of the uh, late 90s, early 2000s did, and which could, uh, you know, spell doom for the rest of the American League, maybe the rest of baseball. So, uh, you know, the Red Sox are, are a team that's, uh, you know, underperformed a little bit. I think they should have, they should be better than what they are. Uh, their key, too, is, is keeping uh, a pitching staff healthy at this point. So, uh, you know, obviously I think it's a – it's a two-team race at this point, and uh, in the American League East, and, and play teams already 16 games out in Tampa Bay. 
Yeah, Ameri- uh, the American League Central, though, is uh, you know just being dominated by the, the Cleveland uh, Indians. Uh, they played Detroit today, They're in a, and uh, the Cleveland's on a five-game winning streak. They played Detroit today. De- Detroit's in second place. So not much to talk about in the American League Central and in the, in the uh, West. Uh, certainly Seattle and Houston have a little bit tighter of a, of a, uh, of a gap between them with uh, Seattle three-and-a-half games behind Houston in the number one uh, spot in the West. Any final thoughts, uh, MLB, NBA, any final words of wisdom, sir? Oh, wow. You know, it, it's a, if you haven't been paying attention to baseball so far, uh, you know, there are a lot of teams that are surprising teams so far. I mean, you look at a team like Seattle or, uh, or Atlanta uh, or the Phillies. So if, if, you've been, uh, if you've been checking on baseball, it might be a good time to start watching. There's a lot of fun young teams uh, who have been terrible for so long that uh, you could be missing out on, on fun. So, uh, you know, maybe tune into a baseball game now that the uh, the, the NBA started to calm down and uh, see what you're missing. You've been missing all spring. Absolutely, Mo from the BS Sports Show joins us in the final quarter of our show today. Uh, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? Uh, at Mo Radio Show on Twitter. All right, buddy. We'll talk with you soon. Have yourself a good weekend. All right, Tom. Appreciate it. Mo from the BS Sports Show joins us, obviously, uh, in the final quarter of our show every single week. Uh, I want to thank Matthew Embry from Popular Open Wheel Now. Joined us in the first quarter of the show, if you will. Talk with us a little bit about Road America and IndyCar, NASCAR out in Sonoma, wine country. Uh, Tyson Lonsager jumping on, helping us break that down. And also thank you uh, to Derek Schultz of the Query and Schultz Shows, 97.5 FM uh, here in Indianapolis and on iHeartRadio, breaking down the NBA draft from the Pacers' perspective, some Andrew Luck, and just uh, some overall NBA talk, and, of course, Mo from the BS Sports Show. My name is Tom Marquez, El Presidente. Remember, don't drink and drive. It isn't cool. I'm out of here. Deuces. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.